This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday to you all. It's Brother from Another. I'm feeling good. It's a football Friday. We've got a lot to get to today. Some interesting guests. Dr. Jason Johnson will join us and talk about his disappointment. He was there in Seattle watching his beloved or or formerly beloved. I'm not even sure where he stands on that. He was a fan free agent. He didn't tell me and tell us if he's still rooting for the Seattle Seahawks or if he's moved on to the Broncos. But he was there on Monday night watching that very exciting game, one-point game. We'll talk with him. Burt Breer, ace NFL reporter, will stop by. He said the other day, I heard this, and I got to ask him about it. He said the New England Patriots are just another team. Can you imagine the team that a lot of you really rooted against, a lot of you saw on your screens for a generation, Burt Breer says, just another team. And before I tell you about our, our uh, first guest today, I'm very excited about him. Before I tell you about that, how about last night? History. History was made Thursday Night Football exclusively on Amazon. So Amazon, in addition to delivering your groceries, your popcorn, your gadgets, now Amazon delivers your NFL football as well. And our own Michael Smith making his debut on Amazon. Great job. Congratulations, Michael. Not only a couple of things, only a couple of issues. I'll tell you. Uh, I heard a lot of people talking about this. Oh, how can we watch football on the internet? How can we have this? What's going to happen? Just a couple of buffering issues. But other than that, I enjoyed the experience. Who am I to say for those of you watching on Peacock TV? Who am I to say that streaming is a bad thing? Streaming is a great thing. Thank you, by the way, for watching Peacock TV, listening on Sirius XM channel 85, watching on YouTube, listening on your podcast. Thank you for joining the program. We're excited. We're two years and two days old now. I'm going to keep counting two years and two days. And because this is such a special week, you know what we're bringing back today? I can't even keep this a secret. You know what we're bringing back in about 25, 30 minutes? The return of my bets, your money. You found yourself in the last year having a little more disposable income, haven't you? Because you haven't been listening to my terrible advice on what team to bet on and what team to bet against. But now, okay, go back in there very cautiously, very slowly. My bets, your money will return today. But before we get to that, check this out. 2005, prior to our historic run as the first six seed to ever win a championship, that Monday he came into me and Dan Rumi said and gave me these rosary beads. I said, Dan, I wasn't even, I'm not Catholic. Dan said to me without missing a beat, Coach, it doesn't matter. Every little bit helps. 
Well, Dan, I still have them today. And to those who unfortunately are not with us, my parents, Larry and Dorothy, my wife Kay, Marty Schottenheimer, and Dan and Pat Rooney, you are here in spirit. I feel you, I love you, and hope you're as proud of me as I am of you. Thank you, Steeler Nation. What a night that was in Canton, Ohio. I was there watching Bill Cower inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That was August of 2021. And we just like to hang out with Hall of Famers here on Brother from Another. Bill Cower, <laughs> my friend, is here. Good to see you, Coach. How you doing? Mike, I'm doing great, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, our producer, I was telling him the story off the air. He says, is Coach checked in yet? I said, no, he'll be here. I said, he is a time... <laughs> He is a time obsessed person and I learned that maybe the first time I met him, you know, just conversation. He said, you know, um, and that will tell everybody Bill said this. He said, you know, I'm really, really annoyed by people who are not respectful of time. So when I say, <laughs> you know, three o'clock, I really want it to be three o'clock. If I say three oh five, three ten, if it's going to be that, please be on time. So uh, coach, you can tell everybody this is true. I would sit there and, and we were supposed to talk at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever it was. I would watch my phone. It'd get to 59 and 59 seconds and I'm pushing the button because I don't want to get the wrath. I don't want to be coached at 10 o'clock well, in the know, morning. So, <laughs> and, and Michael, um, with all due respect, you, you took me down a path of doing our book of heart and steel. Um, and we, we made multiple dates on a daily basis when we would talk and as the toll would ring you would be ringing my phone so i really appreciated that but you also took me down a path that allowed me to to rediscover myself reappreciate some of the people in my life and i thank you very much you you were just so professional about the whole thing and just doing the process of, of doing that book with you not just made me respect you as a person and just everything you stand for but also um, it, it was something that was very special to me, you know, and again, there's a lot in there that will tell you about who I am as a person and you saw me as a coach and wore my emotions on my sleeves, but uh, there's a lot of substance to that and a lot of the beginnings with which we covered in the book and again, I, I like I said, I, when I got done talking to you, I laughed, I cried, I thought. And um, it was draining, just emotionally draining. You took me down that path of doing this book together, but um, it was so worth it. Uh, thanks for saying that, Bill. I really appreciate it. It was a great process for me. I really enjoyed doing it. And as I said, there in Canton in August, incredible moment. You see Art Rooney uh, presents you into the Hall of Fame. It was a Steelers crowd only about two hours away, Pittsburgh to Canton. Yeah. So Steelers Nation really took over that stadium. Do you ever think back? And I wonder when those moments come because everybody says, okay, Hall of Fame, you're there. They expect it all to hit you immediately. And I imagine there are moments where you're doing something else and you say, wait a minute, I'm in a Hall of Fame. How did that happen? Like, when's the last time a moment like that happened where you just were doing one thing and your your Hall of Fame presence just kind of hit you? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't even know. I think even today, just talking when people say that, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I am in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but um, yeah, I never really forgot where I came from, Michael. You know that's who I was as a person. And, 
you know, that evening will always be so special to me just because of the people that were there that I've never forgotten a group of high school friends, college friends, professional people, family. And it's still all about family. You know, that was all to me with, with everything. And, you know, I had my wife, V, Veronica, uh, was with me, my three daughters, and certainly from afar, from above, you know, Kay and my parents. So um, that that's always been the biggest thing that I've been a part of. And it's so ironic because, you know, I, I grew up, came into the National Football League as a Cleveland Brown, right? I grew up in Pittsburgh during the 70s when, you know, with, with Chuck Knoll, that historic uh, period of time, what they did for renovating or re- renaissance of the, of the Pittsburgh area. And then halfway in between, there was this place called Canton, Ohio. And so, um, I don't know, it just it just seems like that that Ohio turnpike right there, a lot of memories, um, a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, but uh you know, it was it was it was a road well traveled and one that meant so much. You can see Pat Schottenheimer there. That was very very important to me to have her there because Marty Schottenheimer meant everything to me. Now, see, that was a powerful moment. You you really you hit that moment so beautifully uh, in the speech talking about Marty Schottenheimer. And I look at it. We just had uh, another Hall of Fame announcement, and I think about Marty. He talked about the gleam with his players. Oh, hey, there's a gleam man in that trophy, and he never, he never got there as a coach. Yeah. But if you look at his record, if you yeah. look at what he did with the Browns, what he did with Kansas City, what he did with the Chargers, and you know, even briefly with Washington, like, like Marty was a turnaround specialist. He would get your organ if your organization wasn't right, and you gave him time, he'd get it right. I still think that that Marty should be considered for the Hall of Fame. Oh. And I know you sure. do too. Maybe what what are some things that about Marty that maybe people aren't aren't recognizing? Well, I mean, if you look at his tree, Michael, look at the coaches that he impacted who went on to become head coaches. It's a significant tree. And that to me speaks volumes and what he's able to do consistently, weekend, year in, year out, uh, with every organization that he went to, he turned it around. And stickler for detail, um, master of preparation. Uh, you know, was willing to be flexible in what he wanted to do, uh, both sides of the ball, which people don't really realize about Marty. And finally, he was so rigid. He's, oh, we're going to run the ball. We're going to do this. But, you know, if he had the quarterback to throw, and he did it with Montana, he did it with Bernie Kosar back in the day. And uh, when he had the quarterbacks to throw, he threw it. But he had the quarterbacks that were more based on play action and utilize the running game. He did that. And so, but defenses were always followed him along the way. He, he had a great feel for that. And I grew up in, and he mentored me in that, in that respect and myself and Tony Dungy. And we always talk about Tony and I talk about some of the greatest times we had was in Kansas city. Those three years when him and I coached together under Marty and his tutelage. And again, you know, when you think about what he's done over the years, the people he's impacted, how he's impacted the game. He was on the competition committee for a long time. And, you know, you go back to, to him and Don Shulin. I always told the story, Michael. I said, I'll never forget my first couple of years. I was in the National Football League. He would come to me at the league meetings and say, you want to go play golf? And I go, sure. Goes, I got a couple coaches. I said, okay. I get in the get in the back of this car. We're going out to this golf course. It's Marty, Don Shula, Dan Reeves, and myself. And I'm thinking, Wow. Bill, just shut up and listen. Okay, just shut up That's and right. listen. Because there's, there's so much knowledge in here. You have nothing to offer these conversations. So I said, I just sat there. It was like a fly in the wall, listening to three great coaches. All three belong in the Hall of Fame. And their concept of building a culture, their concept of strategizing, 
where the game was, which a lot of the conversation was, what's in the best interest of the game. Um, Marty and, and all those guys were on the competition committee at the time. So it was more about the league and the growth of the league and where are we going with it and what's in the best interest of it. So those are the things that I took away. And then Dan Rooney, again, I'd come back and say, I guess I played golf with uh, Mr. Rooney. And he said, don't call me Mr. Rooney, call me Dan. I said, all right, Dan, guess who I play golf with? And and I said, I played with Marty Schottenheimer and, and Don Shula and Dan Reeves. And he said, what is your takeaway? I said, well, those are great coaches. What did they have to say about the league? And that's what Dan would ask me. What did they have, how they feel about the league? Because it was all about making the game better, right? It was about making sure it's in the best interest of the game. You can leave the competition to you guys on Sundays in the fall. But this is in the offseason right now. How can we continue to make this game better? And I, I give Roger Goodell because Roger was right there with Tag along the same way we were there. And I think he was brought up that same way. What's in the best interest of the game? And so, you know, you're, the owners going to be the ones that are going to kind of talk about what they feel is important to them. But it was always a relevance of what's in the best interest of the game from a coaching perspective, from a player's perspective. And, you know, that, that's how I was raised in the National Football League. See, Bill, I know you got a lot of coaching wisdom from those trips. I mean, you think about those guys in the same uh, in the same car, Marty, Don, and Dan, and then Bill, young yeah. Bill Cower there with them. Yeah. So I want to know. Yeah. I know a lot of coaching wisdom. Who's the best golfer though? Who's the best golfer out of oh, all it those was, guys? Well, listen, Don at the time. I can I could I could keep up with Don. Don and I we would meet on the green and we'd be line five or six. Now, Marty and Dan Reeves, they were good. Marty was good. Marty probably had like three or four home ones. He loved to play golf. A lot of golf friends. And Dan Reeves is a good golfer too. So it was usually Marty and I against Dan and Don. And I says, you take care of Dan. I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll try to match Don. But, you know, if it came down to it, if Don needed that, if he wanted a five-foot putt, I'd say, sure, take it. It's good. I'm not going to ask you to putt that out. You're Don Shula. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Whatever whatever you need. And you think about yeah. it, last night, uh, Thursday Night Football, we talked about it off the top. You know, two of Marty's former franchises met. You had the Chargers and the Chiefs and probably two future Hall of Famers, <laughs> Coach. I mean, you look at uh, Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, two excellent quarterbacks. What stood out to you about that game last night? Well, I mean, I, I think, number one, you're right. I, I think the one thing I'll take away is the Los Angeles Chargers. I think their defense is significantly better. When you talk about J.C. Jackson picking him up, Asante Samuel was hurt a lot of last year, and Derwin James has been hurt. And so, all of a sudden, they're on the same field. Then you add Khalil Mack to Bosa. Um, that defense is significantly better, which I think led to Brandon Staley probably on fourth down saying, you know what, it's okay to punt. Okay. So in the past years, okay, let's go for it. Well, you know, now you've got a significant defense that you can count on and trust. So, and I think with Justin Herbert, like you said, and I mean, those, those two quarterbacks, you put them up there with, with Josh Allen right now. I would say those are three of the top quarterbacks in the National Football League. Honestly, they're, they're special in their own way. They're athletic. They got an arm. They got a great sense of the field. They can see the field. And it really comes down to like maybe what the 99 yard interception return, which ironically I took away from that ever at the tight end was tapping his head, you know, let me get out of the game. And then all of a sudden you get down to your first and two at the two. Someone needed to be in Justin Herbert's ear saying, whoa, 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 back off. We don't need to do a no huddle. Our tight end, number one, is trying to get out. 
let's take a breath, let's gather our thoughts, because we get a go-ahead touchdown here, we could win the game. So it was kind of a hurried-up play that didn't necessarily need to be a hurried-up play. And, you know, one of those ones you might want to take back, and someone's got to get in Justin Herbert's ear about his tight end was he was tapping to come out. So somehow there was a lack of communication there. And I thought um, uh, Steve Spagnuolo did a very good job. He had Chris Jones moved him from the left side to the right side in the second half and made that kind of adjustment because that right guard from the Chargers was just stopping Chris Jones in his track in the first half. Moved him to the other side, and you saw the impact that he had in the second half. So, you know, coaching and football, Michael, you know what I upset all the time. It's a chess match. It's move, counter move. And a lot of times with every move you make, there's a consequence. And I think that they had it back, that hurry-up throw and the interception, they might have wanted to huddle that one up and gave some thought as what they really wanted to run first and two at the two-yard line. I mean, exciting play for Kansas City fans, but devastating if you're the Chargers. Yeah. I mean, you were able to move the ball. You, you were, you got up ten points early, ten zip. Then you're up seventeen seven, and you you're in position to score there. And then it go even to get three. I mean, you'd be disappointed to come away with three, but to come away with nothing, uh, that was that was hurtful. So if you look at these quarterbacks you mentioned, we have Mahomes, we have Herbert. You mentioned Josh Allen. Put Lamar Jackson in there too. Out of yeah, these young yeah. guys. Which which one is a favorite? Maybe it's not the right way, but you know which, which one do you think is the best? Like who's the best out of those, well, those I mean, quarterbacks I just named? But listen, I think they all have they have skill sets that are so special, right? Um, Lamar Jackson has his own style of play that you have to prepare for. We saw on opening day, I may have had that touch for the deep ball. Now he's throwing the ball very, very. Uh, very, very well, and certainly going to be inspired playing on the the, uh, the the contract situation he's in right there. Josh Allen, again, big, strong, will run. Um, Justin Herbert can throw the ball and can see the field. His numbers in his first couple of years are unbelievable. But let's face it, Patrick Mahomes has won a championship, been one of he's won a Super Bowl, been to a Super Bowl. You can talk about the talent around him, but I watch him throw balls from every angle. I watch him be able to make plays. Um, he's so, so special. And, you know, he's just a dynamic. Like uh, this one here. You know, why watch this? Why, why watch the angle? Why watch his little sidearm? Just come he on. He sees it at the last minute. I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, his other touchdown pass was the same thing. So he's just a special player. Again, you can't go wrong with those four guys, to be quite honest with you. They're just, they're young. They're under 30. They're the face of that. That's a great throw right there. That's actually against J.C. Jackson, too. So that was uh, what a ball. hitting Watson. Yeah, I mean, who are these guys he's throwing it to right outside of Kelsey? Take away Tyree Kill. Oh, he won't be the same. He hasn't missed a beat in these first two weeks now. So um, and I think a lot of credit to Andy Reid and, and Eric Bieniemy as well. I think I, let's, not, let's not take – make sure we give them to do credit, too, as well. Uh, what they've been able to do. And, you know, I think they did a great job of going out and shoring up that offensive line. Um, they got young secondaries now. As talked about with Steve Spagnuolo, we saw the big play by Watson for the return. Um, and so it, it, it's, you know, they're the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe the toughest division in football with the Chargers and Josh McDaniel going to the Raiders and, you know, and, and then Denver Broncos getting, you know, Russell Wilson. So, um, but I still think the cream of the crop is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I agree with you. I got a couple of questions before we let you go, Coach. Uh, All right. One is, if you look at, um, you know, you mentioned Baltimore and Lamar Jackson contractually. I think it's such a strange situation to me going into a contract year, representing himself. He set the deadline. Hey, it's got to get done before the season. 
and it didn't get done and here they are and now the stories start to leak out so usually when you have an agent an agent is sometimes that buffer between the organization and the player and he's the player and and the the agent i don't know i have you ever seen anything or did you ever experience in your career a player who was in a, a, a contract, a Porton player in a contract situation, and you got to go into that season with that hanging over you. It could, I imagine it could be very awkward. Yeah, but I think it's something you have to talk about openly. And I, I think John Harbaugh's probably talked to Lamar about this, Michael. You know, listen, you, you, you know, I know you look at the contract of Deshaun Watson, but just because one team makes a, makes a contract doesn't mean everybody else has to follow in that way. So I've always said, it, you know, if you try, if you're offered something that's fair and you love where you work, if it's a system that fits you what you're doing, you love the players you're around, the coaching that you're coaching for, put a value on that. All right, because that ultimately is what's going to make you have success over the long run. You may get more money, and grass isn't always greener on the other side. Um, so I just hope Lamar can stay healthy this year and, and get through this. I'd love to see him finish his career with the Baltimore Ravens. I just think him and John are such a great back, that great match for each other. Um, John Harbaugh is just—he's a—you know—I think he's one of the best coaches in the National Football League, and he loves running the football. They play defense down there. And, they're going to do what Lamar does. He, he takes input from players. That's why he's been there for 15 years. Um, it's a really great situation. And I just would just urge Lamar to put a value on that so that when you come up and talk about contract, don't just compare it to any place else because a lot of times where you work has to have value, and that's something that he has to seriously think about. So you're speaking from experience on that. I hear a lot of experience there, you know, working. <laughs> well, for listen, we we, I mean, we, we, like, we never, yeah, we never, we never, we yeah. weren't going to get into a bidding war with other teams in Pittsburgh. We couldn't do it. So I used to say to the players, if you want, if it's about money and you want more money, then you then go, go, because you know what, we can't, we're not going to make, we can't make you the highest paid. So, I mean, you have to do what you can do, and certainly you're going to spend the cap, and certainly you have other players that come up, and, you know. So you have to deal with those things on an individual ba- basis respectfully i get where the player is coming from it's their choice it's what they want to do but all i say to you is once you make that choice you know what just commit yourself to what we can do together you know and so that's just if you're full in whatever you decide to do i'm with you because listen you're only as good as your players no matter what a coach says it's not about them it's about your players and so again you know i hope it works out well for lamar um, I hope it works out well for the Ravens because I think they're a match that that, that, that should last for a career. You know, you know, you you were in Pittsburgh, the only team where you were the head coach. You're at CBS, the only organization that you, uh, only place you've been yeah. a broadcaster. So yeah, you're actually living by the words that you're speaking. I'm going to say last thing when we out. We started off talking about Canton and the Hall of Fame. I just want to point out to you if you ever get the urge, let's say this month. You get the urge to visit your bust in the Hall of Fame. I got to have another reason to go to Canton. I checked this. Do you know who's playing in Canton at the end of this month? They happen to have a song called September. They happen to have a song called no. That's the Way of the World. Wow. They are in so we got, we got They're in Canton at the end of September. My, my earth, wind, and fire. Oh. Yes. You know, it's like uh, now you and I start talking music. Now we—that's a whole other segment. We, I guess, I have to come back. Another conversation. Okay, I'll come back. The, so, the, so, door, but they, the door is the always open. Man? 
What is the date September thirtieth. See, I wish I had known. Because I, you know, well, what is that? Is I, what I day just, of the week is that? What day of the week is that? Uh, you know, mm, 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 what day? You know, I don't even know. I don't even know what day of the week okay. that is. Right. You know, because um, I'm busy on Sunday. I think it's a Friday. I, I think it made, I think it's a Friday. Right. Friday, right. well, Friday, September thirtieth. We'll have to talk after the show. So. Yeah, we got to talk. Let's figure yeah, this okay. out. We got to talk. All right. We, we got this. Tell got our this. wives. Tell our wives. Yes. Hey, come on. Well, We're going to well, camp. Do you gra- grab Oni? I'll grab V. Pick me up on the way. And uh, from Boston, pick me up in New York, and we'll, we'll go there just in and out. There it is. Quick show. In and out. Good to in, see in you, Coach. Out. Always great to talk with you. And uh, oh, next time you come on, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll, have a music, we'll have a music conversation. You're, you're on with that one. <laughs> I love it. You're I'll be best. watching you Thank on you, Sunday. Michael. Thanks. Bye, brother. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. All right, here it is. Here it is. It's a conversation that we've been having for a while. And, you know, national football fans, maybe you're checking in on this every now and then. You know the Patriots don't have an offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels went to the Las Vegas Raiders, and now the Patriots have, well, who knows? A committee. (laughs) There's a committee and a subcommittee on running the offense. And in game one against the Miami Dolphins, that subcommittee... And the players came up with seven points, seven points. Yeah. And look, Burt Breer, it's not that the Patriots have never struggled against the Dolphins before. They've, they've done that with McDaniels. They've done that with Tom Brady. Mm. But it's just the way they've looked the entire summer. They haven't looked good. Right. So it, this is so unusual. Have Do you have any indication that somehow magically, boom, the Patriots are going to be able to figure this out offensively with their plan and and be a, a functional offense again. I mean, I, you know, I think the hard thing, Michael, is you go from having one of the best play callers in the entire league. And, and really that's been your situation. I would argue maybe for the better part of the last 20 years, right? Like where you went from Charlie Weiss to, to, to Josh McDaniels, to Bill O'Brien back to, to Charlie Weiss. And now it looks like something else entirely. And, you know, we've heard the whole summer, and, you know, I've, I've talked about this with you. I know, like, how the idea was to streamline the offense and pare it down and make the point of entry a little bit lower. You know, like, this offense was so tailored to Tom Brady and they'd added for so many years without ever subtracting anything that it became really a difficult offense for newcomers to come in and learn. And so this was going to help them cast a wider net and it was going to help them get more out of guys like Johnny Smith and Nelson Aguilar. And, you know, I just watching on Sunday, I don't know, Michael, the thing that kind of struck me was they still don't know what they are. You know, like it just, it doesn't feel like there's a real identity to what they're doing. And you see in bits and pieces, like little things that maybe they can do well, but I don't know if there's anything that ties the whole thing together. And if you're going to streamline it, you would think, okay, like, well, the idea then is to pick a few things and get really, really good at them. And, you know, now you're, you're going to go from your strength being your complexity to your strength being your execution. 
And we just haven't seen that to this point. And we haven't seen evidence that it's coming either. Well, I heard you say something the other day that I actually disagree with. You said the New England Patriots are just another team. Now, talent-wise, sure, agree with that 100%. But whether it's the the, the Cowboys, the Steelers, uh, the Packers, uh, I think the Patriots are in that group, and add somebody else where no matter what they do, even Mm -hmm. if they're a disaster, we're talking about it. When they're great, we talk about it. Like, we, we will invent something to talk about. What, when these franchises make news, they really make news yeah. with a capital N. So do you really think the Patriots, even yeah. in this transitional phase, you think they're just another team? I think people are interested even when they're not good. It sort of feels that way. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I like To me, like just having grown up here and remembering what it was like when I was you know, a teenager and – um, you know, going from Parcells to Carroll, they had two really good football coaches here. But, um, you know, I, I I think they got really used to over the last 20 years constantly being on the marquee, you know, and it's every game they were in was a big game because they were in it. And I just don't know that it's that way. And I just sort of look at the way the NFL did the scheduling and then you look at where they were on the first Sunday of the year. And that one o'clock game against Miami in Miami it just sort of felt like one of those nondescript 1994 games to me. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe that'll change over but, the course of the year, but of, it just but sort of Bert, felt that way to me, you know? They did get a lot of primetime games, though, right? Aren't they scheduled for the max? which surprised me. I think they got the maximum primetime are, the, are they maxed out, though? I'm not sure if they are. Yeah. I think eight teams were maxed out. I thought they were lower than the max. I thought. Yeah, I think they have. I think isn't it five? You can only you can have a max. Five is five the max. Yeah. So if they have five, then they hit the max. But yeah. So yeah, they play Sunday night. You know, a couple of Sunday nights. They have Thanksgiving night against the Vikings. So they have you know they got Monday night games. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it I just, don't think it just, see, this is where I agree it just with you. Though. Felt to me. I don't think the just, talent matches it. Yeah, and I and I I think that, that there was an appeal the last couple of years, right? Like so, two years ago. I think it was, what's it going to look like without Belichick? Cam Newton's there. There's a curiosity, obviously, how Cam was going to fit in in a new place after spending the rest, the, 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 the rest of his career in Carolina. Um, and, you know, like last year, I think the appeal was the appeal you always have with a rookie quarterback. I just don't know, Mike. I, I just, it just felt to me like a blah, normal Sunday game. And I just... It, like I'm not saying like all of a sudden they're the Jets or the Jaguars. Like I'm not saying that. Like, but I mean, I I don't know that if it stays this way for a couple of years, that, that they're going to be. I, I don't know that they're on, they're on the marquee now. And like I certainly don't think that after a couple more years of this, they would be on the marquee. It's you know with certain teams, there's just permanence to it. And I like honestly, like I can remember when the Niners fell off the marquee after Montana and Young, and it just. Like they didn't have the appeal either, you know. Um, maybe that's just reserved to a small number of teams, like the Packers and the Cowboys and the Steelers. But it just it, I, it, that Sunday game just kind of hit me as like, oh, like this is what it was like around here when I was younger. And it just, I don't know, it just felt that way to me. And maybe it was like the maybe maybe part of it was the way the game went too. It wasn't the sexiest game yeah, to watch either. That's right. Oh, all right. So I, I, I was talking with Coach Cower about uh, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, and, and he, made, he gave some good advice that he has stood by. Like sometimes you don't you don't necessarily need to be the top paid guy on the market, mm-hmm. and you're comfortable in the organization. Okay, that's fine. But when the when the story leaked, 
And I'm guessing somebody with the Ravens leaked the story. Let's be yeah. honest. The story leaked that they offered him $133 million in guarantees. Yeah. And that's about $100 million short of Deshaun Watson's guarantees. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Bert, but a $100 million difference, <laughs> that's usually not a negotiation. That's not usually a negotiation. Hey, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. No, no problem. Ooh. That's a big problem. That is a wide. That is uh, that is the Grand yeah. Canyon times three. What do you think is going to happen here with Lamar Jackson and his contract? I, I think you and you and I and Jim talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, um, where you know I said like you know, a smart executive a couple of years ago said to me like my job isn't to give a player what he's worth. My job is to figure out what that player can't say no to, right? And, you know, the more I've thought about this, the more I think about how Lamar sort of operates differently and thinks differently. It's part of what makes him great. And so, like, here's the thing, right? So I think a lot of players, because of the injury rate in football, and especially those that play the game the way that Lamar plays it, where there is, like, an abandon to the way he plays and that he does subject himself to punishment in, in a way that few quarterbacks do, and they deploy him that way. Um, yeah, I think a lot of players would look at the 133 million and say, you know what? I can't walk away from that. At the end of the day, something terrible could happen in the next few months, and I'd never forgive myself. I just have to take the money that they're offering. Now I've pushed it for, far enough. But what if, if you're Lamar Jackson, and you look at this, and you look across the table, and you say to yourself, I'm taking so much physical risk. They're playing me in a different way than any team plays any quarterback, maybe in the history of football, right? And so I'm taking so much physical risk on. Why should I mitigate their financial risk? Why should I protect them? So what is, I I don't know, Michael, like I just, the more I've like sort of dug around on this, the more I've thought about it. Would it surprise you if Lamar looked at it that way and said like, wait a minute, you're asking me to take all this physical risk. Like, why is it my responsibility to be mitigating your financial risk four or five or six years from now? Yeah, maybe, maybe he does. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, it, there's yeah. tension. There's tension there already, just yep. because of what we know, and we didn't know it before. And See, that's what's why, interesting, that's what's so the, interesting about it to me. That's why the leak doesn't make sense to me. That's and that's the part of it. I, I'm with you. Like that's the part of it to me that like makes less sense because I, I know this. Like that circle was small. Like the Ravens intentionally kept the circle of people that knew what was going on. Small, like somebody there told me, like, we know, like, this guy's trust, trust is important to this guy. And we yeah, know right. that, like, to maintain the negotiation um, and, and to keep the negotiation on the tracks and where it needs to be, we need to maintain trust with Lamar. And so we're keeping the circle small to make sure that none of the information gets out. And yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder, like, that, like, okay, like, they get to the point where they can't get a deal. And what was it, two days later? the details of the offer get out. Like if they were being so careful about like handling Lamar, right? Like handling this thing and making sure that the circle was tight and not wanting to offend Lamar by, 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 by violating the trust. And then it gets out this way. You sort of wonder what's going to happen when they get back to the negotiating table in February and March, when it's time to tag them. All right. You, you look at, uh, the teams that played the first Thursday night game. It was mm-hmm. Bills, Rams, season opener, and so far. They both go at it 
uh, again on Sunday. I'm surprised, and and I'll get to it a little bit later uh, in in my bets, your money. Um, put a little <laughs> action on this, but I am surprised, Bert, that the Titans, who looked uh, very bad on Sunday, yeah. uh, losing to the Giants, that the Titans though are nine and a half point dogs in Buffalo. I know Buffalo's great. I know it, it's in Buffalo, but nine and a half that seems pretty sizable. What do you think about that matchup? It's going to be interesting because, I mean, obviously, like the Titans were the number one seed in the AFC. A lot of people forget that, <laughs> like that because they got upset in that divisional round. But end to end, they were the best team in a really good conference last year. Um, they've got real identity. I think, you know, both you and I know Mike Vrabel pretty well. And, you know, I think the world of him is a head coach. And, I, you know, I, I like I think that they're going to wind up at 10, 11, 12 wins. Um, you know, I think that, that that the program's strong enough that they do end up being there. And if the Colts – don't improve from where they were last week. I think the Titans could wind up, you know, pretty easily breezing to the AFC South title. That said, the, the Bills, Woo. the Bills looked like a freaking wagon <laughs> on Thursday. I mean, like you think about this, like the margin for error that team's playing with, right? They turned the ball over four times and beat the defending Super Bowl champion in their stadium by three touchdowns, like that. I, to me, it was like an eye-opening performance. And, you know, I made the comparison last a couple of weeks ago with you guys to the 07 Patriots. This sort of feels like that, that sort of felt like that game the Patriots played against the, the Chargers that year coming right out of like the Spygate stuff, right? Like and the Spygate story had broken and you knew the players were going to come out like a house of fire. Like they were, it was going to be, they are out here to prove something. And you saw it like that night in 2007. And I think you saw a Bills team that had something to prove coming out against the Rams. And so I, I think a lot of the Titans, but going into that environment on a Monday night, how keyed up that building is going to be and the confidence the Bills are playing with now with three extra days of rest, it's a tough spot for Tennessee. All right. Well, here's my final question for you. And this is tailored for friend of the show, brother of the show, Dr. Jason Johnson who used to be, I got to check in with them. He's going to be on the show in a little bit, but I got to check in with them. He used to be a Seahawks fan, but then <laughs> Russell Wilson was traded. He became a free agent, but yeah. then the Seattle, the 12, the 12 heard about this, Bert, and they tried to recruit him to stay in <laughs> Seattle. But anyway, uh, the Seahawks won that game. I didn't think they would. I thought they'd get blown out by the Broncos. Is there anything that you saw? I know emotional game and you can get yeah. up for a game and then go back to where you were, who you're supposed to be. Is there anything in that game that made you think, well, wait a minute. The Seahawks might be a playoff team or is that, or is that going too far? No, I, I mean, I think that there are certain things that like, like uh, that I saw when I was there for training camp that got me encouraged that the team could be going places. And I think the main thing is the rookie class. Um, you know, and I, you know, you go back and you look at some of the early classes that John Schneider and Pete Carroll put together, um, you know, in particular, the ones in 10 and 11 and 12, you know, when you were bringing in guys like Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, like they really feel strongly that this could be one of those types of classes and, and, and the bar is high there, but they think this is a class that could be a foundation for them to turn it around. And I mean, both starting tackles are rookies. It's it's Charles Cross and and Abe Lucas, um, the running back Kenneth Walker. Now he's still dealing with some injury stuff, but they think the world of him. Boye Mafe is already contributing on the pass rush, and Kobe Bryant. 
I, like for a rookie, like for a fourth round rookie, they thought he had a chance to be a star. Now he went to the bench early because he got beat um, early in that game against Denver, but they think he's going to be a player. And then the, on the other side, you had Tariq Woolen, who's also a rookie playing. And so I think you add that to like how fast it looked they played. And, and I don't know if you picked up on this as much, Mike, but it certainly stuck out to me, like how fast the Seahawks looked out there. I'm not saying there's going to be a playoff team. I, and especially in that division, it's going to be tough. But I think this this team's going to be a tough out week to week. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think Gino's better That's than right. people think. And I, I, I just see this being like, you know, maybe like that 2010, 2011 Seahawks, those teams back in the early years of Carroll, where you could see the talent, you could see the speed, and then maybe it you wasn't quite coming. coming. It hadn't quite come yeah. together yet, but you could see yeah. like how fast they were playing. Like, I think this could be that type of team where maybe they wind up seven and 10, but it's going to be a really competitive seven and 10 and could set the stage for bigger things down the line. Burt Breer, always appreciate the knowledge, my brother. Um, go Buckeyes, of course. <laughs> They got Toledo. They got a tough Toledo, Toledo team. Toledo. Toledo. Toledo I, like, I, I've heard Toledo's defense They're two and is kind of tough. Yeah, I've heard yeah. Toledo's defense. But we've got a big one next week, though. So this is a nice tune-up for that. All right. Okay. So we'll see. I, I, I don't want to say it's a tune-up. They sometimes struggle with these in-state battles. These in-state teams trying to mess up the big-picture plan. You know who, know who you oh, are. Oh, their Super don't Bowl. Don't get in the way. That's right. All right, Bert. Don't get right, thanks, Mike. Don't get in the way of our championship hopes. We're on our way. We're on our way. Any less. I didn't expect any less. Okay. I got so, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this. I, I gotta be honest. First off, good to see you. As the rapper once said, the poet once said, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. I'm back. Without a strong ride <laughs> <in> step two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I gotta tell you, I expected the 12s to be angry. I was there for the entire day. I heard local radio, there was all the rage. I saw the tweeted and deleted tweets. From Richard Sermon and 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 Doug Baldwin and everything else like that. Shout out to G Scott, uh, the local people who's going to tour me around with local radio. I saw the palpable anger and the pettiness from Seahawks fans versus Russell Wilson, and then the interview with Pete Carroll after the game, where he talked about it, and, and he was asked by local radio, "Why do you think so many former players were excited to see Russell lose?" And Pete snarkily says, well, you figure that out on your own. And they continue to talk about how he had outcoached Nathaniel Hackett. It was a sight to see. I have never seen that much pettiness for a former player. And I was in Cleveland when LeBron came back. So you were there. So why do you think if Pete Carroll says, figure it out on your own, what do you think? Seahawks fan, former Seahawks fan. I don't know where you stand. You may be on the floor, you might be on the fence. You still a Seahawks fan? Still Seahawks fan, yes. Woo! Woo! 
So why do you think that is live footage. people were? That was from my. Why vantage. the pettiness? Why the pettiness from the fans and from the former players? So I think those are two separate things, and this is uh, the, the condensed version is this. Honestly, Holly, number one, from the fans, he's now the enemy, right? That that's completely legitimate and fair. When you leave the team. They're supposed to boo you when you come back. It's perfectly fair. I never understood people who were saying, oh, my gosh, it's Lil Ross. No, no. He's the opposing quarterback, right? I think within yeah. the team, and this is a larger thing, and I, I talked to Jason Reed about this with his great new book about quarterbacks uh, on my podcast. I think this is important to understand. Black quarterbacks are held to a different standard within the team than white quarterbacks. And I think there's some players on the Seahawks who never felt like Russell was down enough, sort of shadows and echoes of what happened with T.O. and Donovan McNabb, and they've always resented him for it. I've never heard that that Russell was a bad teammate. I never heard that he iced people out like Aaron Rodgers. I never heard that he was ideologically problematic like Derek Carr. But there was a certain collection of brothers there who just never thought he was down. And so they're happy to see him taking down a peg. But it's a shame because I think the black quarterbacks are held to a different standard even by our own people within the team than white quarterbacks. Yeah, and then, you know, if 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 the inverse happened, then that court then the players would say, Well, wait a minute, how are you gonna judge me? Because I'm not you. But that's what they're doing to him. He's yes, not them. Are. Okay. He's not them, yeah. but that doesn't mean okay. Hey, hey, look, I'm good. I'm just not you. We right. don't have the same background. Uh, we don't have the same job description. Yep. We're not held to the same standard. Nope. And I guess maybe, it, it, am I fair to say there might be a little jealousy? Jealousy no. involved when you are, well, you're the you're the core of the team, that defense. We, we say we know LOB for a reason. We know Legion of right. Boom because they were the core of the team, yet... Quarterbacks get a lot of credit, get a lot of love. You think there was some jealousy involved? There's quarterbacks who get a lot of credit and a lot of love, and then there's black quarterbacks who get a lot of credit and a lot of love. I can point out to all the years that Peyton Manning would slam his offensive line when he was choking for the first seven years of his career. I can point out that Peyton Manning, the two times he actually won a Super Bowl, it was because he wasn't the focus of the offense. And when he was the focus of the offense, he throws a pick six against the Saints. When he is the mm. focus of the offense, he gets slammed by the Legion of Boom. But everybody loves Peyton Manning for saying that he was the coach on the field. But when an African-American quarterback, whether it's Donovan McNabb, whether it's Russell Wilson, the outlier being Pat Mahomes, and he's sort of in a different category, there tends to be a lot of resentment built up. And I'm not saying that he had to be the best root, uh, the best teammate on the face of the planet, but lots of quarterbacks aren't the best guy on the face of the planet. And you don't see this kind of internal tension. I also think it's fair to look at the fact that a lot of these quarterbacks, when they start, they're 21, 22 years old. Ten years in the league, Russell Wilson is no longer a child. Even Tom Brady got right. tired of Bill Belichick treating him like a chin. He was like, I'm 38 years old. I got kids. Why are you talking to me this way? So I think a lot of that gets missed when we have these nuanced conversations about African-American quarterbacks. And we can't deny the fact that when black people assert themselves within sports, whether that's to get a better deal, whether that's to find a better team, whether that's to have more power, there is a hostility, even from other black athletes, that you don't see towards white folks. Yeah, and I, I think also, and 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 this is, and I I know we've heard it, we've 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 been around, so we've heard this kind of thing of, oh, he's not down with us, he's not one of us, and I know why people are doing it, but if, if you think about it a little bit more, 
it's almost like a uh, you you are trivializing in a lot of ways the the richness and originality of black culture because I haven't met anybody I haven't met anybody as interested I've met a lot of interesting people I've met a lot of smart people a lot of dynamic people I haven't met anybody who has been able to crystallize and distill the black experience into one thing because it's impossible it's right. impossible right. so. Why are you trying to do this to a brother? You know what I mean? This is crazy. It's crazy. And, and here, that's my big question. That's one big question. Here's my other big question, and it's down the list. It's a distant two. Why are you going for a 64-yard field goal to win the game? Better question. Better question. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, Holly. And, and I say this. I haven't changed my opinion. I told you guys this earlier in the year. I think, I think the Broncos probably end up around 10 and 7, maybe scraping the place. I can't imagine them getting more than yeah. 10. I definitely think Russell Wilson is worth – they had seven wins last year. I definitely think he's worth three wins this year. But I think that this is what happens when you have a rookie head coach who's playing his starters for the first time because none of those starters played during the preseason – and he got caught up and nervous in the moment. And I'm sorry if you want to talk about a situation where it's a win or lose and it seems pretty simple and you waste time on the clock and blow a chance to win the game. I think Pete Carroll mastered that five or six years ago at the goal line. So let's be clear about what kind of mistakes ouch. are made say under Ouch if you can't say amen. Ouch. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let's, let's be objective about everybody who's playing here. I got shots for everybody. I got to compete. I got to bear we haven't even gotten to Brett Favre yet. So here's the other thing. Well, I think oh, ahead, the music's uh, playing. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. Quickly, quickly. Here's the other thing I gotta say. Go. Very quick about the discussion here. You can't blame Russell Wilson for not undermining his coach at the end of the game. You gotta listen to the coach. So anybody who says that another player would have overruled their coach and run for play anyway, that's not how you play football. It's about deference. It's about team. Russell Wilson did the best he can do. I suspect they'll play better uh, against the Houston Texans this weekend. We got to come back. You got to come back because we got more to discuss. You got to come back next week. Let's let's figure oh, yeah. this out because I know you're ready to go. I can tell you got a lot of energy. Good to see you, Doc. Thanks, man. Next week, hit me up for real. Oh, what a way to go into the weekend. What a way to go into the weekend. Here we go. My bet's your money. Let's do this fast. Uh, let's see who I got. Bears, Packers. Give me the Packers, Commanders, Lions. Uh, Commanders go win that. Patriots favored against the Steelers. Patriots win. Titans and Bills. Titans get nine and a half. Give me the Titans. Buccaneers and Saints. Saints will win the game, but slim by a point. They win by a point. So take the Buccaneers. My bets, your money. Let's see how we do next week. Thanks for hanging out. Love you guys. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com.